following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Now, we are this morning starting a new series in the book of Judges. So, a couple of housekeeping things on that before we start. For each message in this series, we're going to have a study sheet. So, if you'd like to follow along with the series, if you'd like to do some extra questions, I'm trying to make those questions more application-focused, so it's not technical uh, interpretation stuff. It's more the so what side of it, getting you thinking about how this relates to and applies to your lives. So, if you'd like to pick those up for your life group or for your family or your social circle, whatever you'd like to do, we're trying to have them up online by Friday. There's a page on our website now dedicated to judges' resources. You can check that and uh, download the, the study sheets from there. Uh, we've got hard copies on Sunday mornings too, so you can grab those and use them as you'd like to. Also, there is a really great little book that you can use to follow along with the series. It's called Joshua, Judges and Ruth for Everyone by John Goldengay. Details for that are in your bulletin. It'll be a helpful companion guide for you. You can read a little commentary on the passage uh, before you come along. And we'll in the bulletin each week, we'll note which passage is coming up next week. If you can read ahead... Um, read the passage that's going to be taught on the following week. And some of those passages are quite long, because in Judges there's quite long units of text and the stories spill over a few chapters. So develop a little uh, practice of doing some scripture reading in the week before, so you familiarize yourself with that passage from Judges, and you'll come with the themes in your head and some ideas and maybe a lot of questions, and you'll be that much more up to speed, and it'll be a good foundation for us to do the series with. So All that to say, don't just make it a series where you sit here on Sunday mornings and then go home unchanged, but engage with it and learn from it and keep reading and studying this book for yourselves. Now, if you have gone through Sunday school, if you grew up in a church context, uh, if you you had any experience in some kind of kids' church setting, mm -hmm, probably, probably, The way that you first experienced the book of Judges was with this. Oh, upside down. The flannel graph. The flannel graph. Check it out. I've got trees here. This flannel graph, we all know that the flannel graph is the highest form of biblical exposition that was ever created. And uh, if if you had teachers that used the flannel graph, they probably used some of the stories from Judges. Because they're such great stories. And so you may have met this guy here. It's Gideon. Here he is from Judges, sporting his lovely green and yellow striped uh, cloak, pajamas. There he is pointing to something, maybe the Lord. And over here we've got, here's Samson. And what I love about Samson is this. This Here's Samson, and here's Samson's hair. Check this out. Look at that. Now it's long-haired Samson, and now it comes off again. And you can tell the story back and forwards like that. Man, no wonder this guy had issues. Look at him. Here's Delilah here. Yep, the characters just kill. Delilah's not really working. Thank you, thank you. So we've got these characters, and they made for great stories. And, and you may have learned some of these stories in uh, Sunday school and been introduced to these characters that way. And then you got a bit older, and you became a teenager. 
And you realized that there are some other stories in Judges besides these ones. And you came back and you read the stories that you never heard your Sunday school teachers refer to. Like the story of Ehud, who plunged his sword so far into the belly of the king that it disappeared and the king's bowels discharged. It's in the Bible. Check it out. There, there's, there's no Ehud character for the flannel graph set. I couldn't find King Eglon. Uh, I was very tempted to make little felt cutouts and reenact that story, but... You know, there are some stories that we never really heard from our Sunday school teachers, like the story in Judges of J.L. with the tent pig who drives the tent pig through Sisera's head. Or the story, you know, it, Samson had all kinds of stories in Judges about him. He set 200 foxes on fire, tied their tails together and torched them. He was a crazy guy. And the great thing with being a teenager and reading Judges is that this was the Bible, so your parents couldn't stop you reading it. You know, you didn't have to read it under the bed covers, you could just read it. But there were these crazy, gruesome, weird, bizarre, scandalous stories and judges that you came back to as a teenager and uh, enjoyed. And then you became an adult, and judges, I suppose judges, it, it sort of just takes its place alongside all of the other books of the Bible. And if you think about judges at all, you might think about it as a book of hero stories. That tends to be the common perception. It's a book of great stories about great heroes who were faithful to God and trusted God, and God used them to do amazing things, and so they are examples for us to follow. Uh, part of the, the reason that we think that about judges is because there's a few of them, few of the judges that get mentioned in Hebrews 11, that great chapter about faith and all the heroes of faith. And at one point the author says, I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Abimelech, Jephthah, he says. But these people conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised. So they're there in the book of Hebrews as examples of faith. So we tend to assume that Hebrews is the book of hero stories with these judges, and we should pattern our lives on these great men and women of faith. The problem is, if you've read much of Judges, the problem is if you modeled your life on these people, you would end up either incarcerated or institutionalized, or dead. You, they are crazy people. They, these are lunatics. They are wild, they are reckless, they are lawless people, they are violent people, they are off the chain. These are strange and bizarre people. And there are, there are many times when they are faithful to God, there are certainly moments of brilliance, moments of great faithfulness, great trust in God, but there are just as many, if not more times, when the judges are a part of the problem, not part of the solution. Jephthah ends up sacrificing his own daughter. Abimelech murders 72 of his own brothers. Samson ties the foxtails together and sets them on fire. He was an absolute therapy case, that guy. He was just crazy. Even Gideon, you know Gideon, who was like the poster boy for righteousness and faithfulness, Gideon was the only judge in the whole book to set up an idol to a pagan god while he was still alive and led Israel even further astray, despite all the faithfulness in his early years. So these judges are not models of virtue. They are not heroes for us to imitate. They're not great pillars of faith that we should try and pattern our lives on. So if Judges is not a book of hero stories, what is it? To answer that question, it's helpful to have a little bit of context to where Judges fits into the whole biblical story. Judges sits in this transitional era 
in the life of Israel, in Israel's history. About a century before the story of Judges starts, Israel had come out of Egypt. That's the event that we call the Exodus. Under Moses' leadership, Israel came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. They spent 40 years in the Sinai wilderness. And then Moses died, and his successor, Joshua, rose to prominence. And Joshua led the Israelites in the conquest of the promised land, the land of Canaan. And Joshua details the story of Israel systematically conquering cities, taking over kingdoms, taking over tribes, and and decimating this land, really taking possession of the land that God had called them to take. And the book of Joshua ends on a very positive note. It seems like Israel's basically deposed all of these kings, uh, overtaken these kingdoms. Israel, as a people, is established in the land, and Joshua allocates out all the territory to all of the different tribes of Israel, and off they go to their homes. And it seems like, at the end of Joshua, in chapter 24, seems like everyone's going to live happily ever after. And then Judges begins. And you only need to read the first chapter of Judges to realize that the story is not nearly as happy as that. And that the promises that God made to Israel about possessing the land have remained largely unfulfilled. Israel moves into the land, but they're unable to conquer huge amounts of the people that are living there. And Judges 1, we'll look at this next week, just chronicles city after city and king after king who stays in the land. And you realize that what we thought was this conquest of Israel coming into the land was really, in the end, just cohabitation. It's just Israel moving in among its neighbors. Now, just a note on this, when you think about the land of Canaan, which is more or less equivalent to the modern Israeli state, the land of Canaan, don't think of it as a single nation under one government, like a nation-state today. Those nation-states didn't exist back in ancient times. It was made up largely of either city-states or region-states. So you had these different people groups that controlled different parts of Canaan, sometimes just one city, sometimes a whole area, like the Philistines. And you hear their names throughout the book of Judges, that the Canaanites is a general term that refers to all of these people groups. But there were diversities among them. So don't think of one particular nation like New Zealand, but more a collection of nations. And many of those nations, even after Israel arrived in the land, they still existed. They were still there and they were living among the people of Israel. And that reality sets the scene for the major problem that Judges describes. Turn over to Judges chapter 2. Uh, There's a passage here early in the book that gives a little synopsis, really, of the whole book and how it works. It's very helpful. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10. After that whole generation, that's Joshua's generation, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord And served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. This is what one writer calls the Canaanization of Israel. Israel moves into the land And immediately they start being influenced by the nations around them because they didn't drive all of these nations out. They're living among them and they immediately start to be contaminated and polluted and compromised by the practices of these nations. Israel becomes Canaanized, influenced by the religious practices and the worldviews and the stories 
of the Canaanite peoples. Sometimes that looks like uh, Israel absorbing the worship of the Canaanites into their worship of God, this kind of blend of worship. Other times Israel just abandons God altogether and falls down at the pagan altars of the Baals and the Asherahs and these foreign gods that the Canaanites worshipped. Either way, it was an abandoning of God. And Judges tells the sorry story of Israel's decline, Israel's gradual move away from devotion to Yahweh, God, away from allegiance to Him, away from undivided loyalty to Him, and towards the gods of the people around them. So that by the end of the story, what should have been this great, battle, this holy war of Israel taking the land and driving out the other people groups turns into civil war with Israel turning on one of their own tribes, the Benjamites. It's testimony to just how fractured and disjointed and dysfunctional this nation has become because it has turned away from God. Now, before we become too critical of Israel, I think there's some profound relevance that that story has into our modern culture and our modern reality as Christians. Because just as we read in Judges about the canonization of Israel, the gradual canonization, what we're witnessing today is the canonization of the church, especially in the West. And and these parallels, when you start looking at it through that lens, the parallels are striking. We are being canonized every day because we live among people who worship other gods. That doesn't make them bad people. These are good people made in the image of God. We work among, we live with, we socialize with people who bow down before all kinds of gods, who subscribe to all kinds of worldviews, who follow all kinds of stories in their lives, all kinds of religious practices and beliefs. And we become so easily influenced and contaminated and our faith becomes compromised. We are being canonized. Through our refusal to, co- to follow the Lord's call on our life to serve Him in some way. Through our lack of moral distinctiveness from the rest of the world. Through our obsession with money and our wholesale embracing of consumerism. Through our marginalizing of the poor and the disadvantaged and often the ignoring of them. Through just our own stubborn selfishness and our insistence on just doing whatever we want to do with our lives and keeping God at arm's reach and relating to him on our terms. We are being canonized every single day and we don't even know it. And to those whose faith is being compromised, Judges is going to send a clear warning. It's going to send a call to repentance. It's going to send a call for confession. And it is going to call for a return to undivided loyalty and allegiance and faithfulness to God and are putting aside of any idol. You don't need to fall down and worship a physical Baal or Asherah pole in order to be idolatrous in our culture. There are many things, ideas, people, and lifestyles that we give our full allegiance to, and it compromises our loyalty to God. And we'll explore some of these things as we go along in the series. Look at what happened to Israel as they gradually abandoned God and fell down and worshipped the gods around them. Verse 14 of chapter 2. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. So Israel abandons God, and God hands them over to the very nations that they should have conquered and delivers them into the hands of these 
other peoples. So Israel becomes a slave people, becomes subject to these other nations, dominated and oppressed by them. And from that position of oppression, Israel cries out to God. They do. They cry out in genuine repentance. And they put aside all of their idols. And they destroy all the foreign gods that they've been falling down and worshipping. And they come back and they say, God, we, we want to offer sacrifices to you alone. And God hears them. He listens. And here's what he does in verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Now, when you think about judges, you, you have to purge your mind of the common perception of a judge. Normally when we think about a judge, we think about that guy. right? We think about someone, you know, an old man with the white uh, wig, the gavel sitting at the front of a courtroom with the robe on. That's what a judge is in our modern criminal justice system. But that is not a judge in the book of Judges. The term itself is a bit confusing. The role of the judges in this book is not primarily a judicial role. It is a military role. You're better to think of them like generals or defense chiefs or commanders of armies. Their role is to recruit an army from among Israel and in God's power and the Spirit's power to overthrow the nations that were dominating them. They're always more concerned about the external threats to Israel in a military sense than they are about domestic affairs. They do lead Israel, they do provide governance, they do provide leadership, but the, the dominating issue for these judges is these foreign nations that were oppressing them. So they are military leaders, military warriors, military heroes. The best word, I think, to, to consider in the context of judges is deliverers. These people were deliverers. Their primary role was to be raised up in order that they would, in God's strength, deliver Israel. But as we've seen, the judges themselves were often part of the problem. And they were often part of leading Israel astray. They were very often unfaithful to God and they were not pillars of virtue themselves. So we've got to be very careful of making examples or, 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 or being inspired by these judges. They are on a decline just as much as Israel is. And so these judges would be raised up and they would deliver Israel from the hand of whatever nation was attacking them or oppressing them. But then before long, Israel's back into their old ways again. And as soon as Israel's re-established as a nation, they've got their freedom back and they're back in the land. There's peace for a certain period of time. And then gradually Israel drifts back. Drifts back to the Baals, drifts back to the Asherahs, drifts back to these religious practices, back to the fertility cults and the prosperity cults of Canaan. And they get absorbed back into that world. And this is so similar to the human experience, isn't it? It sets up a cycle that winds its way through the whole book of Judges. Israel abandons God. God delivers them to their enemies. Israel cries out to God. God raises up a judge to deliver them. Israel gets saved, and then they get back to their old ways really soon down the track. And this is our lives, isn't it? I mean, I can see myself in that cycle. You know, we cry out to God to help us, to save us, to be there for us. He comes through for us, and what happens? We forget all of that really quickly, and we just go back to the ways we want to live, back to the things we want to do, and then, and then things go bad again. And we get into crisis situations and trouble comes along. And then from the depths, we cry out to God again and he rescues us or he saves us or he comes through, he makes his presence known. And then we get out of that problem and then we're just back to our old lives again and God kind of drifts away again. This is the human experience. It's not just Israel's experience. So let's not be too critical of that nation because I think they're a microcosm of what happens in the Christian life time and time and time again. Now this cycle occurs numerous times, about seven times through the book of Judges, the cycle of judgment and deliverance, judgment and deliverance, on and on it goes. But the cycle is not just a flat cycle. 
it has a direction to it, and the direction is downward. The spiral is going down in Judges. Things are getting worse. With every judge, with every new cycle, the nation is drifting further into decline. The first judge, a guy called Othniel, he is a model judge. There's not a lot written about him, but he seems to be a very faithful man, filled with God's spirit, who rescues Israel from her enemies, and the land enjoys peace for the whole duration of his lifetime. By the time you get to the final judge, Samson, he is all over the place. He is a hot-headed, reckless womanizer who has moments of faithfulness to God interspersed with moments of who knows what. He is just absolutely erratic. And you just see between Othniel and Samson this declining of Israel's allegiance to God and a gradual drifting away from their faithfulness to him. And out of the ashes of Israel's faith and devotion and life comes a second great theme in this book, which is the faithfulness of God. Because to me, Judges, maybe of all the books in the Bible, is the one that leaves you at the end just asking, why does God bother? I mean, why does he persevere with the stubborn, rebellious, and obstinate people? Why does he not give up on them? Why does he keep on hearing their cries? He knows what's going to happen. He knows the cycle's just going to continue. He knows they're going to go back to their old ways as soon as he delivers them. Why does he keep on hanging in there with them time after time after time? Because of his grace, because of his faithfulness. This is the message of the book of Judges. It's not a book of inspiring stories about great heroes. It's a book about an inspiring God who perseveres with his people despite their incredible rebellion and obvious disinterest in him most of the time. But God remains with them. He keeps walking with them. He shows endless mercy to them. He's patient. He's just, you get the sense God's just always there waiting in Judges. Always just waiting. And as soon as his people come to him, mercy comes back and, and grace comes back. He can't give them up. He can't look away. He can't walk away. He loves them too much. And all they need to do is cry out to him and God's back there. Straight away, the, 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 the cries of his people rise up and God cannot, he will not ignore them. He always acts on behalf of his people. Judges is the story of the grace and the compassion and the mercy of God despite human weakness and despite human failure. God's the main character, not the judges. And the reason that God is so faithful to his people during the era of the judges is because there's a bigger story going on. Because God despite the unfaithfulness of his people, is working out his promises. And he's not going to let the story die. He's not going to let his promises fall to the ground to raise up a nation, as he promised to Abraham, and through that nation to extend blessing to the whole earth. The story must go on. God's redemptive plan must continue being outworked. So he hangs in there with Israel, and he hangs in there with them beyond the book of Judges through the era of the monarchy, through the era of the exile, then through the era of the returning, all the way to Jesus, because that's what the book is ultimately pointing us toward, Jesus. Jesus comes as the great deliverer, the great judge, not just in the sense of the judge who's going to judge us, but the sense of the one who delivers us, the one who the judge is always pointed towards. Judges is ultimately a book about Jesus. His name's never mentioned, but every story whispers his name. Jesus is the one that every judge, whether negatively or positively, points us toward. And we will see how these stories whisper his name and point us toward Christ, the one who's ultimately delivered us, done what no judge in the Old Testament 
ever could. He's rescued us from sin, slavery to Satan. He's brought us into the spacious place of freedom. Greater than just freedom from, a, from an occupying nation. Freedom from sin. Freedom where there is forgiveness and the embrace of the Father and eternal life. This is the gift that Christ has given us. And he stands as the great deliverer, the great judge, and the fulfillment of Israel's story, including the judge's era. So my prayer and hope is that as we work our way through this book of Judges, that there's two pillars or two themes that are going to emerge and guide us as we go. One will be the compromise of our faith and the canonization of our lives and of the church in general, the ways in which we can be so easily led astray. And I pray that it will lead us not to be condemned, not to feel guilty, not to be depressed, but to genuine repentance and to a genuine renewal of our commitment to God, just as God called Israel to do, to come back with weeping, to come back with a contrite heart and renew our loyalty again to the God who is gracious to us. And then alongside that theme, we will see this other wonderful theme of the grace and the love and the endless mercy and the endless compassion of God who cannot and will not ever give up on us. And wherever our sin abounds, His grace is going to abound all the more. Those themes are going to weave their way through the book of Judges and ultimately will coalesce together in the person of Jesus. Judges is going to confront us. It's going to challenge us but it will comfort us and encourage us along the way with the love and the grace of God that's ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And if we let it, it's going to be transformative for our lives and for our church. And we'll dive into chapter 1 next week. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.